Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. It's been a long time ago. I was seven years old. I don't don't think I'd want to go back there. You know what I'm saying? To have to go through school again, that would be like, are you kidding me? So, for all of you young people, it does get better. And uh, you actually get paid for spending time somewhere, eventually. Um, Well, we're doing this series, Music with a Message, and ironically enough, today we had chosen Lucas Graham a month or so ago. Uh, on this day, and I'd love to tell you it was by design, but it was kind of accidental. Um, but, but life is about cycles and seasons. Um, and, and we go through phases, and, and sometimes people get locked in a season or a phase or a, uh, a dispensation by a trauma or something that happened in their life that they've been unable to overcome. That's the reason I like this song is because it, it kind of walks you through the different seasons of life and how they look and how we're living and what's going on. Uh, in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, the Bible tells us to number our days right so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Every one of us, every day, has the opportunity, if not the responsibility, to number our days, to determine the outcome of life. In, in, in every season, every decision or every choice that we make can have an impact or an effect on the ultimate end of life. Now, the beautiful thing about being a follower of Christ and a person of faith is that every mistake is redeemable. Every mistake is redeemable. I was in the lobby between worship experiences, and one of the guys in our church uh, was supposed to spend his whole life in prison. Real long story short, he, he got born again, his life got turned around, and uh, it really it's nothing short of supernatural that he was released, and uh, you know, it looked like that was going to be the rest of his life, but now guess what he's doing? He is now the Oklahoma chapter prison fellowship minister going back into prisons by choice to tell his story and to make a difference. Your life is not over as long as you have the breath in you to breathe. Your life is not over. No matter what the past season was like, you have the opportunity to do something in this season that will make a difference in your life. So never let your emotional or spiritual or mental uh, growth be stunted by something that you've done in the past. Number your days right. Be sure to number your days that you would gain a heart of wisdom, that we would not repeat past mistakes. Uh, Some people will never get off of your past, which means they'll never be a part of your future. So you have to move on anyway. Beautiful thing about getting older, here's some thoughts that I read. As you get older, your secrets are safe with your friends. They can't remember them either. (laughs) You can't stay young forever, but you can be immature for an entire lifetime. I live in my own little world, but it's okay. They know me here. I would be unstoppable if I could only get started. 
So getting started is critical. Aging, eventually you will reach a point when you stop lying about your age and you start bragging about it. (laughs) There have been times that just when I'm being a rascal, somebody would ask me how old I am and I'd tell them 75. You ought to see their face. My goodness, you look great. I said, right? (laughs) That's where I'm headed now. In years to come, I'm just going to elevate my age, and they're just going to feel great about how I look. Come on, somebody. Anyway, so (laughs) there's a way to make this whole life fun and to enjoy it and laugh about it and get through it. Don't get snagged. Don't get stopped. Just move on. Psalm 37, verse 23. If you would turn there, it will be on the screen. If not, uh, if the Lord delights in in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Now, the Bible says if we'll delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our hearts. The real challenge in every season of life is that our sin nature has peppered our soul with selfishness and self-centeredness. That most of the decisions we make in life don't include other people. If we just stop and we're real. Uh, They include us. What's the outcome for me? How will this benefit me? How will this hurt me? Instead of stopping and saying, you know what? I want to find out the the effects on others. Now, we're all going to make mistakes. You're never going to be perfect in this. But as we go through seasons of life, wouldn't it be wonderful if your kid says, you know, if I don't flush, somebody's going to have to. When you have little children, you know what I'm saying? I mean, now that I, I do my own bathrooms I can't imagine having five children going to that same potty, especially little boys. For some reason, they cannot see that cylinder, that hole. Okay, so anyway, I, my recommendation, if you don't like cleaning toilets, have girls. Anyway, so, uh, but, but they don't think about it. They're just kids. But at some point, a mother says, you know what? I'm tired of doing this. We want some instructions up in here. And so the kids start thinking, I don't want to make life difficult for my mother any more than I should. So we start teaching at a certain age how to think outside of ourselves, how to look beyond just the impact that this is going to make in my life. And oftentimes, all of these decisions are made from the platform of pain. So we have to find the delight of God, delighting ourselves in Him. He said, I will make your steps firm. God's not withholding. God's not punishing. God is waiting on us to connect with His thoughts his desires, and his delights. He said, when you find out what I have for you and what I want for you, and you get in line with that, I'm going to make your steps firm. And though you stumble, you will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Verse 25, I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and live freely. Their children will be blessed. Life cycle simply means a series of stages through which something such as an individual, a culture, or a manufactured product passes through during its lifetime. Now, I'm going to quickly go through just the 12 stages given, secular stages given of this life cycle. And we should begin to see ourselves differently at different phases of life. When I was, uh, when I turned 50, I, I flew to L.A. to be with Tommy Barnett uh, at the Dream Center. I was preaching for Matthew Barnett there in L.A., and 
I called him to see if his dad was going to be there because I requested a meeting with Tommy. Tommy, to me, one of the greatest leaders of my day and our day, uh, built several great churches, the last being Phoenix First Assembly in Phoenix, Arizona, big, beautiful work there, and just a great man, a visionary and a dreamer. And um, I wanted to get some advice from him as to, you know, at 50, it's kind of a pivotal point, changing turning point. And I said, you know, I said, I just want to know what you did starting here to get to where you are now. Because I knew that I was going to enter a new season of life. And I wanted to know how to enter this season or this cycle in a way that I, I, I could navigate. And I'll never forget, Tommy's one of the kindest men I've ever met in my life. I said, could you give me some re- uh, ideas? He said, well, wear comfortable shoes. Where's the spiritual in that? But I realize what he's saying is, is you're going to be walking a lot if you do what we do. Be comfortable. But then in that meeting, I realized that so many of my spiritual fathers had passed away. At that time, uh, John Osteen, Lester Sumrall, and, and so many were passing away. And these were men who had spoken into my lives, my life, Dr. Sumrall, before he went to be with Jesus. One of the greatest missionaries that I've ever known, uh, delivering food and provisions all over the world, owned his own C-130 uh, aircraft just so he could move product to hurting nations. He flew, called me, flew to town. I'm thinking, what is he doing with me? And he, he said, can I stay? I want to ask you to spend three days with me. I'm mean, If you knew Dr. Sumrall, most people would have paid to spend a day with him. But God had blessed me to spend some time with a man that would show me uh, what it's like to dream at his age. Went on to be with Jesus shortly after my visit with him. Um, as I said, Brother Osteen called me and said, minister to the Lord and worship people in prayer, minister the word of God. These men imparted to my lives way ahead of my years, and they, I still, the words they spoke to me still ring loudly today. But the pre-birth is number one, which represents potential. A baby in the womb simply represents potential. A child who has not yet been born could become anything. A Michelangelo, a Shakespeare, a Martin Luther King Jr., um, they can become anything. So, so we get excited about pregnancy, about a child in the womb, because at that point they've made no decisions, but we know that they're going to. But we do know this, that they are full of potential. At that point, they're untainted by society. Their sin nature has yet to be given a platform for demonstration, and they're just getting ready to come forth into the world. Number two is birth. It represents hope. When a child is born, it instills in the parents and other caregivers a sense of optimism. In other words, they represent legacy. And that we we look at them, and oftentimes parents are really hard on their kids and you know, we make mistakes because we really want the best for them. We're, we know we're building legacy, but there is that hope that they're going to be better than we are. They're going to do more things than we've done, and they're going to do them better than we did them because we're going to give them all the good that we have and hopefully help them navigate through the difficulties and the bad things and to avoid the things and the mistakes that we've made. Now, if you're a parent who has yet to make a mistake, I would love to meet you in the lobby afterwards and worship you. Number three, infancy, 
ages zero to three, represents vitality. The infant is a vibrant and seemingly unlimited source of energy. It's been said that if you, you bring an elderly person who's been kind of depressed and down and you sit them around a group of children that just are playing with abandonment in a, on a playground, that it elevates their chemistry in them and they find a certain sense of life connected to the life that they see. That vibrancy in the moment becomes a, a vibrancy in their mind and they, they light up because they're seeing uh, in that child something that they once had in themselves and they live momentarily, vicariously through the vibrancy of those children. It lights them up. Number four, early childhood, through ages three to six, playfulness. When young children play, they re recreate the world anew. It's the playfulness, the, the lack of seriousness. Don't ever tell a three to six-year-old to be serious. <laughs> Never. Don't even ask them to. Just, you know, when you're down, just say, would you just come and play? Get down on the floor and play with them. It does something to us. Unless we become like little children, we'll not inherit the kingdom of God. I am, my nickname is Peter Pan. I am never going to grow up. I just believe that you're as young as your mind believes. Now, until you get on the basketball court. And then your body calls your mind a liar, and it's right. So play within reason. You go from playing basketball to board games. All right, so. Number five, middle childhood, ages six through eight, imagination. In the middle childhood, the sense of an inner subjective self develops for the first time. They begin to imagine. Let me tell you something. One of the worst things, and I'm going to be careful to say this because I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not sure it's scientifically true, but I've read articles about it, that one of the greatest problems in, in, in young people nowadays is other people are imagining for them. Now, some kids will learn to imagine uh, the way they do, but when, when I was a kid... I had to build my own car out of dead leaves. I, I would I, in the fall. I would I would I would build a car and then I would get into the car and act like I was driving. You see, we didn't have money and we had ABC, NBC, and CBS and Fox creeped in. We didn't have one thousand two hundred ninety-eight channels to pick from. So we had to have we had to work with the imagination that we had. Now some of those can stimulate imagination, but somehow we we lose our imagination. We quit dreaming and imagining. And I don't ever want you to stop imagining. And I don't ever want you to stop dreaming. I believe it's what keeps hope alive. Is when we begin to just we just fight to keep it up. Sometimes we just give up instead of step up. And that's when we, the kids, we just want to go, man, I'm just going to get around. Every now and then, I'll just go watch kids. I don't, I don't want your kids. And I don't want to babysit them. I don't want to feed them or change their stinking diaper. I just want to watch them. And, and you know, because and and, it lights me up to watch how playful they are and how much fun they have. And, and we stop that, you know. We, we, we quit because we're told, grow up. Well, you know what? Some of you are overgrown. I didn't mean that physically. I know you're feeling bad about things. I know. Some of y'all going, what? Uh, late childhood, ages 9 to 11, ingenuity. Older children have acquired a wide range of social and technical skills to enable them to come up with marvelous strategies. They start using the brain development to do things. Adolescence, age 12 through 20, 
passion. That age group is a, a age group of passion. A lot of that's because of hormones. And true story, the biological event of puberty unleashes a powerful set of changes in the adolescent body. Everything from sexual, emotional, cultural, or spiritual. It's a passion. And, and at that point is when rather than trying to, to quench the passion, try to steer the passion. A lot of parents start shutting kids down. And, and granted, that is a hard age. That is a difficult age. I mean, I have three sons and two daughters, and, and there is a radical difference. You know, I mean, anywhere 12, 13, 14, one day you wake up and your daughter is not the little girl anymore. And you ask the wrong question, and she either starts crying or going off on you. And you go, oh, Jesus. Should have had five sons. But then the testosterone kicks in. It's just a no-win. So now you've got to navigate these passions to the best of your ability so that those passions can bear the right kind of fruit in their lives. Early adulthood, ages 20 through 35, enterprise, the season of enterprise. It takes enterprise for young adults to accomplish their many responsibilities, including finding a home and a mate and establishing a family. Midlife. Now, this one really irritated me, and I probably wouldn't have read these to you had I read this closely. Midlife, 35 to 50. What am I? I thought midlife was like 60 to 100. Midlife. I passed midlife a long time ago. I'm looking for the walker. What is this? I mean, to me, I'm changing this. Midlife is like 30 to 70. That's what I'm talking about. I know. Contemplation, the season of contemplation after many years in young adulthood of following society's scripts for creating a life. People in midlife often take a break from worldly responsibilities to reflect upon the deeper meaning of their lives. Give that a break. This guy who ever wrote this. Anyway, mature adulthood, ages 50 through 80. I don't fit there either. I'm not mature. Anyway, so... Benevolence, those in mature adulthood have raised families, established themselves in their work life, and become contributors to the betterment of society. Late adulthood, 80 plus, wisdom. It's the reason we don't have a lot of wisdom on the earth. There are not a lot of 80-year-olds. I'm going to break that. All right, so how many of you have joined me? Let's, let's just push for the 80 plus, all right? If it takes that long to get wisdom, I at least want to live a year to be 81. Okay. <laughs> then death and dying is stage 12. And they call that life, a season of life. Those in our lives who are dying or who have died teach us about the value of living. And that is so important in a day and age where entitlement is everywhere. I deserve this. I ought to have that. Instead of realizing that life is a gift from God to be lived intentionally by design with great joy. That the life that we have been given is a gift from God. Every dispensation, every season of life. When I was seven years old, when I was seven years old, and interesting, it's kind of the time we enter school and education and start separating ourselves for hours during the day from our parents and uh, learning that there are other paradigms and uh, ideals out there that, that may differ from what we've experienced at home and that that begins to make us start thinking abstractly and differently uh, instead of clonishly. 
So let's talk about friends. Life is better with friends. He said, once when I was seven years old, my mama told me, go make yourself some friends or you'll be lonely. It's critical that we have friends. Proverbs 27, 19 says, a mirror reflects a man's face, but what he really is like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. And so we're called to make friends, and unfortunately, uh, we, we find ourselves in this day and age making acquaintances. We're connecting to people uh, because we know them by name. We know where they live, but do we really know who they are? Because we are living in a world of social media where we tell people what we want them to know about us for fear that if they really knew us, they would not be our friend. But true friendship is when people know who you really are and they stay with you. That's true friendship. But the problem is nobody's saying who we really are. And, and, and the great thing about life is when you realize that everyone that you know and everyone that you encounter and everyone that you'll experience today has their own set of challenges. They may be different than yours or like yours, but the reality is there is nobody in this room or watching online right now that is without a challenge in their life, without an insecurity, without a problem, without a deficiency, without a flaw. We all possess those. And if we could all just embrace those and be okay with those, it would make the people around us feel more confident uh, and, and make us feel more confident knowing that we're not lying to ourselves. One of the greatest joys of my life that came out of three years ago is there's not a lot you can say about me that hasn't already been said worse. There's a certain liberty in life once people know that you are very human. And I really love my very humanness because that's why Jesus died. Let's take wings and fly. So, we are what we read and who we associate with. At the end of the day, the books that you read... And the people that you would call friends are a true reflection of who you really are. Now, it doesn't mean everybody's perfect and some friends are better than others and some friends are further along in their journey than others are. But um, I have a lot of, I love knowing people who don't know Christ and I, I would call them an acquaintance and glad to call them an acquaintance. But the Bible says if those who walk with the wise grow wise, but a companion of fools comes to ruin. And, and so it says those who walk with the wise, not those who know the unwise or the wise, but those who walk with the wise. So you're always going to know unwise people, and without uh, them knowing you, they may, may never become wise. So I'm not suggesting that we disconnect ourselves uh, from a world that is searching for the very person that we have found in the name of Jesus. That's not what I'm suggesting, but the, the, you need to make sure you're walking with the right people, that you call the right people friends so that you protect the destiny and legacy and the purpose of God in hopes of elevating their imagination, their ingenuity, to a place where they can become everything God wants them to become. Um, show yourself friendly and you will have friends. We are what we read and we are who we associate with. Uh, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Just a few thoughts. Um, do your friends sharpen you? Do they challenge you? Do they, you feel like they make you a better person? 
These might be ways of asking yourself, am I with the right people? Do they make you better? Do they challenge you? The Bible says iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Are you being sharpened? Life with a spouse brings favor. So for those of you who are married, um, uh, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. It's a little irritating scripture to me. Why couldn't God said he, she who finds a man finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord? I know he didn't. <laughs> Thus my irritation, all right? We should have called this church interactive. Anyway, so. So all of you guys who are single, get her done. <laughs> it's one of the ways you find favor from the Lord. And it ought to be that way. Now, some of you are with a quarrelsome wife, and it does say that you're better off to live on the corner of a roof. There, take that, women. All right, so if I see a bunch of men on the corner of the roof today, I know what kind of woman you are. Did you hear about the husband who said to his wife, how do you expect me to remember your birthday when you never look any older? I just bought you a line, husbands. <laughs> Next time she says, you forgot my birthday. No, I didn't. You, I just, you just don't look a day older than you did 20 years ago. I mean, she may not buy it, but she'll sure feel better about it, all right? You know, it's, it's, it's um, his daddy said, you know, go find yourself a wife or you'll be lonely. And I know in a day where marriages come, marriages go, and it just seems that, uh, you know, it's tough. Several women appeared in court, each accusing the other of starting trouble in the apartment complex where they all lived. And the judge, with Solomon-like wisdom, called for orderly testimony. I'll hear the oldest first, he decreed. The case was dismissed for lack of evidence. The oldest was not willing to step up. Life is funny. People have different views of things, and then there's the gender difference that we all have to work through, and we all do really think differently as much as we'd like to think we don't. Um, there are still men, and there are still women, and no matter how you try to merge those two any way you want, we're different, and you've got to realize that. Life is full of dreams, so dream. I always had a dream like my daddy before me. So I started writing songs, and I started writing stories. You have a dream inside you, whether you know it or not. The challenge is that when that dream is not yours, it doesn't feel right. And that we often find ourselves living the dream of our Father in order to gain the approval of our Father. And that's a very dangerous thing, because when you can't achieve the dream, you feel like you failed your daddy... And uh, when you do achieve it, if you do, in fact, achieve it, your daddy doesn't appreciate it because it was his dream, not yours. And he feels that he knows that's not your dream. And you didn't do it up to his expectation anyway. So there, when you dream, you have to dream your story. You have to dream your life. I had a, played baseball with a, a guy that his daddy wanted him to play so desperately. Uh, he played second base for us, and the only reason he played second base because he wasn't really good, and he, that's about as far as he could throw the ball. And when we were kids growing up, and I'll never forget watching that. My dad never showed up at any games. I'll explain why in a minute. But um, 
I remember watching his dad, and, and, and his dad so desperately wanted his son, I think, to be who he ever was. And uh, it was a sad thing to watch his son year after year be the poorest player on our team, trying as hard as he could to make his dad happy about his life. I couldn't encourage you more today than to find out what it is that makes you wake up every morning and what you think about every night and throughout the day and, and to live that. At the, there was uh, During the, the process of my recovery and restoration, I tried to imagine the different things I could do and probably imagine the different things I would be forced to do due to my failure. And every day that I would get up, I just couldn't imagine doing anything but this because this is my life. And you know what? God was so gracious and so good to give me that opportunity to come back and do what I dream of every day is bringing hope to people like you. And so, uh, not that living on a beach and renting paddle boards and opening a bar didn't sound pretty good at the time, which will freak some of you out and you'll leave. Anyway, so, but at that point, it was just a thought. I thought, well, you know, this is what people do, so let me just go. Because I thought if I'm going to have a miserable life, I'm going to do it on the beach. Just keeping it real. You see, sometimes our dreams are jaded, they're, they're interrupted, interfered with by those mistakes. And, you know, well, I look back at my dad, who was never at my football games. I played quarterback going into high school, played catcher and shortstop in baseball, ran two mile in track, played point guard in basketball. It was all those things. And my dad was never at a game that I can recall. No one ever saw me play. And at that age, I was having so much fun living my dream, and I knew that my dad loved me. But I didn't realize that the reason my dad was never there was because he saw the day that he would retire, and he would need every dime he could get. He grew up extremely poor and uh, did his best to keep the three boys, us three boys in clothes and fed until we were 16 years old, and then we were pretty much on our own. And I remember that, and I could have gotten bitter at my dad, but I realized now, and I realized then early on, he did the best he could. You know, some of you are here today and you're separated from your father. You don't have conversation with him. And you've judged him without knowing the history of his life. You never imagined what he might have gone through as a kid, how it might have been for him. My dad had nine brothers and sisters. He lost the other two twins at birth. There were 12 kids. His dad didn't even know how to be a dad. I remember my grandfather, and he was a good man, nice man, but he was just poor. And there was not a lot of joy in their life. My dad got his first pair of shoes when he was five years old. Thankfully, I knew that, and I realized that I didn't have to wait till I was five, that my dad did the best he could. You know what? I don't know how good a dad you had, but I'm just going to suggest to you that you look at him and say, you know, he probably did the best he could. It'll sure free you to love him and realize you were not the problem. He was his own problem. You see, we're our own problem. You were not the problem. I was not the problem. My dad did the best he could with what he had. How do you move forward? How do you dream when you feel like your whole life you've been betrayed, you've been neglected, you've been abandoned? And for some of you, that might actually be true. But let me say this, don't let that stop you from dreaming your dream and believing that God's going to do great things in your life because that is ultimately your heavenly father 
And he has never left you. And he said, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. And I'm telling you today, don't stop what you're doing. And keep waking up every day for remembering that you were forgotten. Because you probably weren't. My dad's been gone now for two and a half years. My third father day, Father's Day without him. I love him more today than I did two and a half years ago. When he passed. Don't get mad at dad. Learn from from him. You may say my dad was absent. Then you be present. My dad was mean. Then you be kind. My dad was critical. Then you be encouraging. My dad never calls me. Then you call him. So what you want. Early this morning. I get up about six on Sunday mornings. And I do confess that this morning. I hit snooze a couple of times. It's Father's Day. After all I deserved an extra ten minutes of sleep. But I woke up this morning thinking, I've got one of my sons lives in Seattle. Another son lives in Los Angeles. I've got a daughter that lives in Miami. I have two children that still live in Oklahoma where the wind comes sweeping down the plains. I won't see at least three of them today and maybe not see four of them. One of them is a musician here and plays at Life Church. He's the keyboard player in Mustang, and he works all day. Probably won't see him. Four out of my five children I won't see. I could choose to have a pity party, and I could choose to sit at home and wait on them to call. My other son's a professional musician as well in Seattle. My other one's a professional musician in L.A. (laughs) And my daughter has two sons. That's probably even harder. So I know they're busy. So what I decided to do today on Father's Day was I did a video of myself saying, Good morning. I want you to know what a privilege it's been to be your daddy. And I am praying that you have the best day you've ever had because you light up my life. You are the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Happy Father's Day. And I just sent it all to him by text. (laughs) Flip the script. Don't wait on somebody to do something for you. Celebrate your own day, dads. If your kid didn't call you, now they will, but I'm just saying, I just decided... What I want them to know, I am privileged to be a dad. I want them to know that. I don't want them to feel obligated. I want them to know they happened to me. God gave them to me. You say, well, you know, God gave me to them. No, just so into their lives. Some of you have allowed yourself to get bitter. Your dad did neglect you. He forgot you. And I'm not saying that you have to have this warm relationship, but you've got to have a respectful one. Okay. Struck a chord. Possess your own dreams. Pursue your own dreams. When Abraham's father set out for the promised land, he got stuck in a place called Haran, and he never went any further. And Abraham could have been bitter at his dad at that parched place called Haran. But Abraham kept pressing into his heavenly father. And Abraham picked up the mantle that his dad had laid down. Because the Bible says his dad died in Haran instead of dying in the land of promise. Maybe your dad quit. Maybe he never made it to the land of promise. Maybe he never took you there and you expected him to. But let me just say this to you. The dream lives in you. The promise is in you. 
you can go for the dream. You can go for it. You don't have to wait on somebody else. Your future and your destiny is not tied to your daddy. It's tied to your obedience. I suggest you get up and that you see the dream and you pursue the dream and that you cheer yourself on to the dream. Don't blame it on your daddy. Don't blame it on your mama. Don't blame it on somebody else. Don't blame it on circumstances. Today, the power of God is resident in you to live out the purpose of God. So get up and do it. Just to lighten the mood a little bit and, and flip this thing and say, you know, what would it be like if your dad told you to run with knives and do every stupid thing you ever, as a kid you ever thought you could do? So I, this video was sent to me uh, by my precious assistant. She said, this is really cool. I thought it really is kind of humorous. Hopefully you'll find the humor in it and I don't have to come back to a bunch of people scratching their heads going, why the heck did he show that? Do it. Life is always fair. I really enjoy repeating myself over and over again. I just love when the kids talk back to me. I don't care if you get a job this summer. I don't care if you get detention. Uh, I can't open this jar. See if mom can open it. Just take your time in there, okay? No means maybe. Hey, why don't you bring that ball inside and play with it? Hey, don't put that back where you found it. Just leave it on the floor. Ew, bacon. If you put a dent in the car, it's really no big deal. It's 10 a.m. Go back to bed. Look, whatever your friends are doing, just do the exact same thing. I got more than enough sleep last night. If your friends are okay with it, then I'm okay with it. Stop signs are just a suggestion. You don't need a chaperone. You don't need a seatbelt. You don't need a savings account. You should buy the jeans with the holes in them. Hey, we're all going to go to church, but you can just sleep in, okay? Can we please just hang out in here for another 10 minutes? Hey, can we get some more bickering back there? All right, bills! Yay, traffic! Woohoo, taxes! Yes! Laundry! Hey, can you kids come in here and jump on my bed? Quick, go tell mom what happened right away. You don't need to finish your dinner. Hey, look at your phone when I'm talking to you. I wish I had a smaller TV. We got you that phone for a reason. Texting boys. All right, everyone, listen up. Mom and I are going out of town this weekend, so please, mess up the whole house while we're gone. Please throw a few parties while we're gone. Please forget about the dog entirely while we're gone. Hey, when you're finished pouring that, can you just leave it out on the counter all day? Thanks. Hey, what are you doing? I'm gonna bungee jump out of this tree. That's a really good idea. Happy Father's Day, fathers. So all of life is about choices. Choices you make, not the choices your dad made, not the choices your mother made. They're about your choices. At the end of your life, you won't be able to blame anybody else for where you are. At the end of your life, you can actually look and say, you know what, I made the choices to get where I'm at. It's so critical that you and I not hang our destiny on somebody else's choices. But let me say this to you. The voices that you hear will influence the choices that you make. So make sure that the voices you're listening to are voices that are going to help you get to where you want to go. Because I know the smallest voices, they can make it major. That's one of the lines. So choose to live life around people who celebrate life. Don't make people a priority that make you an option. Somebody doesn't want to 
want to be around you, then move on to somebody who does. If somebody refuses to encourage you, find people who will. I'm not saying that you hate anyone. I'm not saying that you talk poorly of anyone. But pray for everyone because they're going to need it. Don't allow what has happened to you to happen through you. If bad things have happened to you, don't let them happen through you. Stop them right there and you be the difference maker. You be the one that chooses every season of your life in this life cycle to never grow bitter, to never grow discouraged, to never give up and never quit. When you fall down, get up. If somebody doesn't like it, get up anyway. Do what you have in your heart to do. Live the dream that is in you. And it will come with a price. It doesn't come easy. It's not handed down. You have to do something every season of life. Life is about respect. And this is not something we talk about anymore. 1 Peter 2.15 Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. King Jesus in our case. But we need to show respect to everyone. Be kind to everyone. Be humble and kind. It was last week's music with a message. Be humble and kind. Be a learner. If you're a learner, it shows respect. Because if you're a learner, you're a listener. And you know what? Some of the greatest lessons you'll learn won't be from the wisest people. They will be from the most innocent people. A lot of the greatest lessons I ever learned, I learned from my children. I have learned from my children. My oldest daughter is probably the most, one of the most authentic people I've ever met in my life. Now, if, if you want to know the truth, she'll tell you the truth. And she just decided somehow, I don't know where she got it, but she's just authentic. I respect that. And you know, I think sometimes we, we listen to people, but then we don't really listen. We're listening to how to respond, not listening to what they have to say. Listen authentically to what people have to say and then respond with authenticity. We live in a world that is deceptive and lying and not really saying what we would want said. A lady came up to me about a year ago, actually right now, and was making a statement about some things. And I got to tell you what I said I can't say in church in response to her. It had something to do with a bull. Um, I just called her on it. She's making this statement that I knew wasn't true. And I just said, well, that's poppycock. Kind of. Because I thought, you know what? Somebody needs to be stunned into, let's stop with the political correctness. It's killing people. And I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to play the games anymore. If somebody's lying to me and I know they're lying to me, I'm going to smile and say, you're lying to me. I didn't call him a liar. He said, you're lying to me. That is not true. Because when, when, you, when you speak truth to a lie, the truth will always prevail. Now, the relationship may not, but the truth shall. It will prevail. So be honest. Lastly... Life is about sowing. Life is about sowing. It's the last point, and I'm going to let you guys out of here real quickly. But this message was really important to me because 
I've gone through quite a few seasons. And matter of fact, the last verse of that song is where I live. When I was 60 years old, my daddy taught me. And when I think about every dispensation of my life, grew up surviving and uh, literally fighting and thinking that was the only way to live life. I had never thought about being a learner. Really, I, I thought about being a fighter. I thought all of my life, if I can just be quicker, faster, stronger, something, I can get through life. But the reality is, Paul said, I die every day. When I talk about sowing, if I could have learned early on to sow my life, not sow seed, finance, what, sow your life into the cross and there you will find life you'll find it more abundantly here on earth and you'll find everlasting life after that choice an acquaintance of mine when he's asked what he does for a living and he's somewhat well known he responds whether he's on an airplane or wherever what do you do for a living he said I'm a learner I'm a learner no no what do you do he said I, le I learn for a living because whatever, if you can learn, you can live. If you can learn, you can move forward. If, you, if you're a learner, you can sow, you can grow. And I would challenge you to sow your life today into the, the work of the cross, into the destiny that died and rose from the dead in Christ. Sow your life into him every day. Say, today, Lord, I die. My life doesn't belong to me. It's been bought with a price. It belongs to you. And as much as I'd like to reach out and slap somebody... Because there's always somebody you want to slap in every given day. I sow my life into the cross that your life might rise and live in me. Unless you forgive, you will not be forgiven. So you sow forgiveness. You sow forgiveness. It didn't say somebody always deserves it. I don't deserve forgiveness. But God thought I was good enough and I, that he would do it for me anyway. All of us, forgiveness is a gift that we give to others as well as ourselves. We need to learn to forgive. Sow forgiveness. Sow your gift. Give and it shall be given. These are things that we must do. If somebody hits you on one cheek, let them hit you on the other. Somebody asks you go to mile, go a mile, go two. If somebody wants your shirt, give them your coat. All of these things go against our human nature because our human nature is so uh, enveloped by sin nature that it's very difficult to overcome. So I want to say this to you. If you're 20, you have an incredible opportunity to live an unbelievable life if you sow that life. At every Start now. Don't wait. I love my life now probably better than I've ever loved it. I love it now better than I've ever loved it because I get it now. I'm a slow learner, but I am a learner. And I, I can tell you that the joy of life is being authentic and real with God, with yourself, and with others. And at the end of the day, if you're really honest and truthful and you're willing to be who you are, it may cause some pain for others and you, but there's something about truth that is liberating. And truth doesn't endeavor to hurt others. It endeavors to reveal to others where you are and maybe where they are. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you golden rule let's do that today father thank you so much for loving us 
seeing and knowing everything about us, yet loving us so much that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Every season of life, Lord, help us to grow, to love, and to live. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you haven't sown your life into the cross and become a follower of Christ. And today, I just want to pray for you. And if you'd like for me to pray for you and say, Mark, today, I want to become a follower of Christ. I want to sow my life into the cross that I might have life now more abundantly and everlasting life after this life. If that's you and those of you watching online, just wherever you are, even watching online, it's not about me seeing your hand. It's about you lifting your hand in acknowledgement, I need to become a follower of Christ. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down, right where you're at right now. Just say, please pray for me, Mark, because that's what I need. I want to become a follower. Yes, thank you, ma'am. Are there others? Thank you. Because this is really about you and God. That's what this is about right now. It's not about, not about me. It's not about your family. It's not about any, well, it is about your family because they're going to be affected by your choice. Thank you for lifting your hands. And those of you watching online, I know there are some of you that right where you're at, God's touched your life and you slipped your hand up right there in your house and you can feel the presence of God. He'll never take away your free will. He will always honor it as you give it to Him. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Father God, I sow my life into the cross today where Jesus gave his life for me. Today I give my life to you. I become a follower of yours. Amen.